you are listening to Faithless Brewery, a Machine the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogues. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play, and then we put our creations to the test so we can share our findings on the air. We discuss what worked, what didn't, and what can be improved for the following weeks. On today's episode, Bord and Kevran go deep into the Flash mechanic as they put a Flash in Flashback, as we celebrate the podcast's third year anniversary. They will also brew some possibilities for the monthly project runner-up, Cunning Night Bonder. Will they be able to crack it? Tune in to this episode to find out. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. Joining me today, all the way from Argentina, it's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, yo. Thanks, Dan. How is it going? I'm sorry, Mr. CEO. <laughs> I don't apologize. You're, so, you're just the, the CEO now. You have lost your mortal name. Well, it was pointed out by the fine folks in our Faithless Brewing Discord that today... Friday, May 13th, is actually the three-year anniversary of Faithless Brewing. I was quite shocked reading that. I had not realized that much time had passed. And more importantly, I was quite shocked neither of us had any idea. I feel like, you know, life is on a repeating loop <laughs> at a certain point. For the past three years? Like, I don't know what a Wednesday is anymore. Do you know what day of the week it is? Like, I just skip through them. One thing that recording this podcast has done is I'm just much more likely to declare that it is a day of the week that it obviously isn't. Like, it's not Friday right now. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's Tuesday night right now. I'm just going to say it's Friday. You just live and die by the, it's Friday. And I'm, I just said it was Friday for two hours, and I'm going to defend it's Friday. Mm-hmm. In a few hours from now, I'll be like, happy Monday. Good to see you again. We're here for our Monday show. And then I'm going to talk to a friend and say, hey, are we having dinner today? It's Monday. And he's like, no, Mord, are you all right? So clearly our sanity is fraying a little bit as we enter year three or year four, I guess, of, of the podcast. Exactly. We just became three-man enchantments. <laughs> the stunned silence. That's the same silence that I don't... Damon did a really bad pun last week. And he had the exact same silence on the other side. Just the silence of disbelief. So we were asked in the Discord once this came to light, that actually, wow, we are pretty old. Do we have any special plans to commemorate the three-year anniversary? As Emmy said, we actually forgot, so no, we don't. But there were some great suggestions. It just didn't quite feel right to discuss that without the original crew here. David is off this week, uh, as is Damon. But hopefully, if we get them back next week, you know, we can just take a small rain check. And postpone, maybe. We'd love to keep hearing ideas, because, as Dan said... The first suggestions we had were yours, people, so anything you feel would be nice for the next Friday or whenever the original cast can get back together, please send it and let's make it a nice celebration of something we were didn't have any idea what's going to happen, but it's a quite happy achievement. I think the first suggestion was, what are the five greatest Faithless Brewing decks or the most iconic Faithless Brewing cards? I think we can all agree on what's the... I mean, it's our symbol, right? The card, like the one card that just represents Faithless Brewing. That used to be our most iconic card, Niv-Mizzet Reborn, although that's not my answer for the best Faithless Brewing deck. That is like a secret answer. No one gives us any credit for <laughs> But it happened. I was there. 
I mean, I I don't know if I ever told you this, but I remember I had it even before I knew about you, even before I knew about the podcast. I saw a Madman Reddit post saying this is the best card in the set. Before I even knew about Fetless Ruin, before I even knew who the hell that Cabran was, I saw a man make a post defending nine decent cards from World of the Spark, and his number one choice from the set was a five-man unplayable mythic. I, I was wrong then, and I'm wrong now. But we had a lot of fun along I mean, the way. you weren't wrong. That's the thing. A whole archetype popped out of that. The archetype that got me to competitive MTG got out of that. Like, the thing that made me a good player... The, f- the thing that made me want my first challenge came out of that concept. I think that I... Yeah, that's an interesting list. We should revisit that list sometime. You defended me when no one would. And you are right. Even if it isn't the best card in the set. Or, I'm sorry, the best card... It wasn't the best card in the set. We have to fade and Raveler. But where people saw an unplayable draft chaff, you saw an archetype. Well, that's what I wanted to say, right? Like, I think I did a good job of identifying potential in cards, but I did a bad job of, like, gauging the relative strength or importance of said cards versus the actual good cards in a set. Like, I think I had Karn on that list as, like, the 10th best card from the set just because it was interesting in Tron Mirrors or something, which is kind of was, but that that isn't really the legacy of Karn the Great Creator. And I don't think I put Teferi or Narset on the list. I, I can't quite remember if I did. On the other hand, like, you know, how many years of trolling did I endure from David and Damon for saying that Bubbles of Citadel was Founded. a promising card? right? And then eventually, you know, you just had to keep finding smaller formats and it became pretty good in like Pioneer. I can't believe I found it. Okay. Well, you found the actual Reddit post. Yeah. Have it right here. Oh, so, number eight, yeah. Cardi Great Creator. Number seven, Saheli, Sublime Artificer. We're talking from a post three years ago, everybody. This was the po- the first time I ever heard about Cabran, and, we- and I didn't even read the name or Faithless Ruin co-host. That's his title in Reddit. I just went through the list. Seven, Saheli, Sublime Artificer. Six, Dabriel, Rogue, Shadow Mage. Spicy choice, Dan. Oh, Five, <laughs> Kyora, Behemoth, Beconer. I stand by that one. That's another one where I feel like I've been proven right several times. And like we see it now, this current version of Pioneer Mono Green relies on Kiora in a big way. So the best part about this post is, I'm going to say it right now, the title is The Best 10 War Cards for Modern, and it's a top 8. <laughs> we have come a long way. Number 4, Red Horror Arcanist. Number 3, Bola Citadel. Number mm-hmm. 2, can you make a guess? I think you will guess. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was Neoform. It was Neoform. And finally, Niv Misset Reborn. And the first comment with a lot more likes than the post itself, Niv Misset is just par. Three six cards, <laughs> what color pairs are even worth running to get that? And in what deck? Five color bad painful midrange seems about as crap as you can get to make beefy Rifter even decent. Well, context is everything, I guess. Niv won the Pioneer Challenge this weekend. Shout out to Claudio. Yeah, but at the time you wrote this, Niv was a good deck. Like... Brennan 6 got printed five months ago, later and he started winning challenges, he started getting results. Like, I'm not saying it's it was the best card in the set, like Nelson and Teferi were not here, but I think this post sort of shows, it shows what you had to offer. Like, you gave that as a player slash the faceless brewing. It showed a new perspective of what people already knew. No one would have said three years ago, I, you have a phrase here. Seriously, if any card is an ex arc like Phoenix, Nibby it. Laugh if you want, but don't say I didn't warn you. It's what happened with Ledger Shredder two weeks ago. You you offered a way to look at what people saw from a different angle. There, there was a different perspective than the usual one. 
No one had faith in Eve. I didn't have faith in Eve. I opened an Eve and it was just thrown into my binder because it was worth two bucks. I would have sold it if it was like five. That's kind of you to say so. What was cool about the whole saga was that, you know, as the podcast grew, actually that post was before we started the podcast. The flare you're seeing now got added later, but, you know, we kept playing Niv as it, and I eventually like found more people and discovered that they've been on Niv since the beginning too. So even though, you know, we feel like no one's talking about it, they're out there. Brewers are out there. They're not all shouting into the void, but like, you know, I met people like Arun, people like Lawson Zandy, who like, you know, they've been playing Niv since day one, day zero even. Yeah, but if is there a brewer if he's talking to the void? It's the same as, that's a tree's fall if, if no one can hear it. Does, does it make a sound if no one can hear it? Is a brewer brewing if no one can see it? I, yes, I, I believe they are. And that gets into like this whole other clout economy thing that really bothers me a lot. So, I mean, it does. <laughs> I will stand up for the forgotten brewer, the unknown brewer. Yeah, but you give the, you give the, like... That's what our Discord does. That's what you have done. You have gave the unfound brewer a home. You gave me a home. You gave a lot of people a place to start chatting because you have the cloud economy. Mm. How many leagues have I seen my first renegator and have discussed with him that I would have never in a million years even discussed because I would have never had a place to talk with him. With Penach 10. Penach 10 started brewing Shaun of the Skulls in the Fenris Brewing Discord, if I'm not mistaken. We discussed it and he now has his own Discord with the roadback shot off the skull deck. Well, I like what you're saying. It makes me makes me feel happy. It makes me smile. I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to take credit for anyone's accomplishments. I think it's more like it's just cool to see that, that like a little community is brought together, and you know they they keep us going. Really, I'm not implying you're the one behind shot off the skull's roadback. All I'm saying is giving people a place to speak is worth a lot, or giving people the knowledge the knowledge that. Testing stuff is not wrong. You're like, it's fine to brew, it's fun to do so, but a lot of people will feel disincentivized if all they see is the same deck list all the time and no one exploring new stuff. That's what we do, I think. Even if our decks don't reach the sky, if more people start brewing because we do so, it's all worth it. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, we weren't even planning to have a three-year celebration, but... There you go. I mean, just rattled one off. Totally unscripted. This is why you're the future of Faithless Brewing. Like, I knew, I knew as soon as I talked to you, I'm like, this is it. <laughs> you're crazy. You should. You gave a madman <laughs> a microphone and just hope for the best. And for some reason, it hasn't crashed and burned yet. So maybe we should actually look at what we were going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so <laughs> what was our actual plan before I started rambling? Well, we were going to talk about the three-year anniversary, so that was part of it. Actually, we should just get the housekeeping out of the yes, way, please. too, since we're on that subject. Talking about the Discord, we have some new patrons we want to welcome to our Discord. They are Daryl C., Cameron L., and Alex K. Thank you very much to those individuals for supporting the show. As always, if you like the podcast, if you whether you're a newcomer, whether you've been here for a while, been here since the beginning... Um, if any time you want to show us some support, the best way to do that is by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Making a pledge at any tier gets you access to our Discord channel, just a wonderful community of brewers. There are other perks as well if you're looking for merch, tokens, playmats. Um, the ability to vote on cards help us choose what to work on next, uh, which actually ties into our topic for today. We're going to be digging in a little bit to uh, one of the popular runners-up in our latest card vote. Exactly. So when the votes were going, and I don't know if anybody remember, they were extremely close. There was one card in the lead for a lot of time during the monthly project voting. 
Do you want to say the name of the car, Dan? Do you want to say the car that gave you a bunch of nightmares for a few days? Cunning Nightbonder. <laughs> exactly. So we thought it was fair to give their runner-ups of the monthly voting at least their tiny bit of a segment during episodes. Maybe a full episode, maybe a segment, depending on what it is. Maybe it's just a chat about them. But the vote being so close meant at least people wanted to hear about it. So we thought it was only fair. Yeah, Emma, you suggested this. It seemed like a nice idea. And I said my piece about Cutting Night Bonder, I think, a couple weeks ago. And I think some people were legitimately disappointed because, they, you know, this card was popular in, in the vote. So by way of penance, I'm going to try to do my best to build a good Night Bonder deck uh, in today's show. Cunning Night Bonder is, is kind of like a Flash Lord, if we can say that. So this is also kind of a discussion of, you know, Flash as a concept. Flash week. Should we read the card? Yeah. Cunning Night Bonder. Two mana, two, two, flash. You can be paid with two blue, two black, or a split. You know, that weird hybrid blue or black mana split. That reads, spells with flash you cast cost one less to cast and can be countered. So it's a mana reduction alongside incontrollability to all your flash spells on a two, two human rogue that has flash. Why doesn't this card enable itself, to say the least? I mean, it doesn't seem like it would be a big deal. But the issue you run, in, you run into is that, okay, it's telling you to fill your deck with flash cards, and then you see that Cunning Nightbonder itself is a flash card. How much benefit are you getting from this cost reduction? Will you count how many flash cards you have in the deck? And then you realize that half of the flash cards that you put in the deck don't get any benefit from the cost reduction. You're going to see that as we discuss the flash cards in a few minutes, but I l- you don't realize this, but most flash cards you think are amazing don't have a lot of peeps to reduce the cost yeah not much generic generic mana in flashcards at all but that being said so this is either blue blue or black black or blue black it's a human rogue does not have any evasion or useful combat stats that's another kind of strike against it but that's not necessarily a deal breaker no the fact is you're using this generally in at least as mid-range tempo or control strategy so you're not trying to connect in combat mostly but at least being a 2-3 so it could at least block half decently would have been interesting so when I saw that this card was in the lead, I started to do a little bit of preliminary research. You know, I just like to make sure I understand, like, what are some of the possible futures, possible outcomes. Went on Scryfall, did a bunch of searches. So I've got a list here of, like, what are the relevant Flash cards, and I'm using relevant extremely generously. A lot of these cards here would not even make my War of the Spark top 10 list. <laughs> That's how deep we're going down the rabbit hole. And that top 10 list only has 8 cards. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, some of these cards are worse than Davriel Shadow Mage. But it's kind of interesting. Like, Magic is a is an old game. It's got a lot of history. Why are there so few cards with Flash? I mean, we were discussing this right before we started. And there's literally a quote here that says, Building a set around instance and Flash Matter is a terrible idea. And they just keep talking about just playing a deck that is all Flash cards leads to fundamentally bad gameplay. And I started talking about how printing a card that rewards you for playing spells with Flash, something like a 2-mana choo getting a counter would be a really bad idea. And as I was reading that and talking to Dan, I thought about, wait, Rhineborn Cutthroat is a magic card. Yeah, so we gotta like fill in a little bit of what we're talking about here. A little context. This is almost 12 years ago now, in the year 2010. Way back in the year 2010, the Great Designers Search number two. I believe they've done three of these now. Does that sound right, Emmy? I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
Okay. Like the designer search are far v- are far previous to my existence as a Magic player. So before Magic was making billions of dollars, back when it was only making millions of dollars, Mark Rosewater, kind of the, the head of Magic, decided that he needed to expand his team, get some more brain power, and he thought, what better way to do that than to have a little reality TV show competition where you invite the Magic community at large to try out their skills as designers in a series of weekly challenges. And it wasn't actually on TV. It was just done through a series of weekly articles. You, know, you had to submit an application. There was a bunch of essays you had to write. You had to take a test, like testing your rules knowledge, your design knowledge. How well had you studied Mark Rosewater's back catalog of articles, basically? What I'm reading right now is sort of impressive. Like The third one was made... Just as I started playing Magic, so early 2018, that's why I missed it. Like, it must have happened the same time I was starting to play, so I skipped it by months. And 3,056 people showing, and the second trial was a multiple-choice quest with 75 questions. The cutoff was at 73. That's insane. How many questions do you think I got right? 60... I took the test. 69. Mm, 69. Nice. That's a good guess, but that's not correct. 65? Do you think so poorly of me? <laughs> I don't think 65 is low. 71. 73. I got 73 out of 75. Wait, so so you got in? I, I, I got into the top 100. Top 94. So they make you write the essays first. So the essays, you have to write like 3,000 words or whatever. Then you take the test. I think they they use like the enormous essay thing to weed people out already. So people who were not willing to write 3,000 words didn't even get to take the test. So 3,000 some took the test. Of those, 100 got to like then submit 10 cards. Oh, this is what we're reading. Like this whole 10 cards flash is the third trial to say so. Uh, no, no, but what we're going to talk about for the Flash... Oh, man, we're, we're on a way out of tangent. But this, 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 that's a submission from a guy who actually like was in the competition. So I did not advance from the 100 stage, if that makes sense. Why not? My 10 cards were terrible. I just had no idea. So you go to the third trial. You go to the submit your 10 cards. Yeah, yeah. It turns out I don't have like a good imagination for coming up with cards. I, I'm sad I missed this. I would have loved to participate in this, even if I would have failed. I think you'd be great at it. I mean, you've designed your own game. Yeah. You're young and limber of mind. I'm too old for this kind of stuff. <laughs> anyway, we're far on a tangent. That's, that was Great Designer Search 3. But in 2010, they were only on Great Designer Search 2. They had maybe a dozen contestants. Every week, um, the contestants got to do little challenges based on a world or a plane they were trying to create. And one of the contestants, I think the youngest contestant that year, he was only... He wasn't even 18, I think. Oh, damn. Um, his name was Daniel Williams, and he had a world called Dead Sands that was kind of like a Wild West-themed world, right? So a little bit of cowboys, a little bit of... He had some poker-themed mechanics that were kind of cool. There was one called Showdown, where you somehow, like, slam down your hand to get some advantage. It was like a kind of space that... You know, hearing me describe this now, I'm sure this world is going to come out within the next two years. <laughs> like, they're running out of ideas. This is already this is already in the brain. This comes right after Lotter, after Lord of the Rings. Basically, yeah. So for one of the weeks, you know, they gave him some feedback, and he came back with the idea that okay, in the Wild West frontier, death comes in a flash. And he submitted a slate of cards that were built around this flash matters mechanic, and the judges just lit him up. They eviscerated this guy. Poor Daniel Williams. And just reading the comments, which you can still find on the internet. We'll have a link in the show notes here. They are so 
if they're talking to actually someone that's underage, I feel like, picture this, you're 17, for example, you left the game, you have gone into the last step of the competition, and the shots goes. In summary, this omission left me very disappointed. <laughs> we can't pay an intern who has an idea but can't execute. In the end, an idea is only as good as exec- execution, because that's what the world sees. Devastating. That's devastating, man. <laughs> Just I devastating. would never try to submit anything again. Why are you gonna be so rough to, a, to an underage boy? For Great Designer Search 3, Mark Rosewater did say something to the effect that he recognized that the judging got a little bit out of hand, maybe, and, and some of the comments went a little overboard in 2010. <laughs> I suspect this is part of what he's talking about. But anyway, so what, what is the point of all this? Well, they were the judges were very, very fixated on how terrible of an idea Flash is, mechanically, how it's just the worst mechanic for gameplay. I picked out some quotes here. Gosh, there's so many to choose from. So here's a a quote from Mark Gottlieb, who was a judge, I believe he was the rules manager at the time. Mark Gottlieb says, Building a set around instance and flash matter is a terrible idea. Right off the bat, it's ugly, overly mechanical. This is not cool. This is not flavorful. It does not capture the imagination. Secondly, there's a weird timing disconnect. If I cast an instant or spell with flash during my main phase, it's still an instant or spell with flash. So I still get the bonus. Feels like violating the spirit of the mechanic, which wants to give me credit for casting spells at other times. The main point, though, is that this engenders a bad play environment. Attacking is a miserable prospect when everyone's hands are filled with abundant flash creatures that the set encourages you to play. The optimal play pattern is to do nothing during your own turn, wait till your opponent's end step, and then cast the best spell given the options available to you just before you untap. It's spell hoarding. It's draw a go. It's end step decision trees. It's dubious attacking prospects. Lorwyn block fairies. It was miserable. Players hated that deck. Expanding that playstyle across an entire block is simply an awful proposal. Uh, that's There's no need. That, that's... That's that's in, that's insane. Why? That was, that was a nice one. Then we have, uh, I think, Zach Hale is here with making similar points, talking about how Richard Garfield didn't accidentally distinguish between instants and sorceries. He understood, you know, et cetera, et cetera, how it's just bad gameplay to not have timing matter. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I would dislike a whole blocks. I understand what they're saying. I don't think a flash set would be good, but there's ways to say it and there's ways to say it. So apart from how they said it, what what do you make of like the content of what they're saying? Do you think that it's true? Like Flash makes gameplay worse? No. Flash pushes the game into a weird spot. I, there's this game of MTG that I just love, like this particular match, which is the mirror of the sky control that hasn't has a sing- that there's not a single spell on the stack until turn eleven. I don't know if you know what the one I'm talking about. The one that gets win with four lightning bolts. Was this a pro tour match? I think so. So there's the, the game starts, they go island, colonnade, island, land, 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 literally 22 times. In turn 11, one of the players in the sky mirror decides to cast a Vendillion click on its opponent's end step. So the first spell cast after 11 turns of not a single player missing a land drop is a Vendillion click. That starts the game. Somehow <laughs> that, game's, that game that lasts over 20, I think over 30 turns actually, ends with one player going opponent's end step, bolt, bolt, bolt. Opponent responds with Helix, he responds with Bolt. And the game is over. That? That's okay, I don't know that game. That game is amazing. What's the takeaway from that? I mean, what's was that a legendary game because it was a great game or was it It shows what happens when you don't have to be proactive. Imagine if every card in Magic had flash. Literally, every single card. Imagine you even had a, tr- a 
Chuman and Tarmogoyf with Flash. Would you cast your Chuman and Tarmogoyf on your opponent instead when you could be holding up the counter for their Tarmogoyf on your own step? Right. <laughs> like, every single decision you make, how many times have you been in a decision on your opponent's sense step where you only had two mana, a counter spell, and an op, and you were like, should I cast this up and expose myself or hold up the counter? Imagine that with every single card in the set. So you do agree with these judges here. Oh, I agree. I think there's no way... I, I think that Flash is a great mechanic in the fact that the cards with Flash in 99% of scenarios are weaker than cards without Flash, making it so the advantage of having Flash is that you're able to hold instants which are good enough on its own. Like, it's a, it's a really similar talk to the one we had regarding instant sources when we were discussing collected conjuring and such, and invoke calamity. Right, and I think you made really compelling points about why the ability to cast something at instant speed means it should cost more mana than the sorcery counterpart. So by that logic, there, there shouldn't be that many, like, efficient instants. Exactly. Or if there is ever an efficient instant, that, that kind of rules out all sorcery speed versions of that effect forever. Exactly. And that's the same that happens here. What can you print in Flash that's better? Like, if the whole set has Flash, nothing has Flash. Either you start playing everything at sorcery speed because your opponent's going to hold up counters or the same threat, or you're just going to play that 11 turn long game where no one does nothing. Because every single thing becomes a decision tree. So that's what's interesting about trying to mill a flash deck, because you know your cards are, on average, weaker than your opponents. Sometimes that rule gets broken, and then you end up with stuff like Solitude. Do you remember how big a spell queller was for years? How annoying is your opponent having a spell queller? Now imagine a whole set of spell quellers. Your opponent going to turn two spell setters prime to turn three spell queller, and they actually being the only cards in the set. The number of lines of games just going spell queller into spell queller into flash creature that counters into flash creature that removes would be insane. So what I'm hearing is that Printing like a tournament quality card with flash is just extremely dangerous. Yes. If you, if you push it like a little too far. I mean, look at the Emperor in Pioneer. Right. So I think part of what makes Cunning Nightponder such a compelling card to think about and part of why it did so well in the vote is because we have seen in the last year and a half, maybe, some new flash cards that are pretty, pretty freaking powerful. Solitude, Endurance. I think they are trying to push that envelope because once you run out of once you run out of cool ideas, you start making, what about this card that it has flash? Is it an accident that these strong flash cards are all from Modern Horizons 2, where they're, you know, their design imperative is to make sure that these cool designs are relevant for tournament play, and, and the best way to make something a little more powerful is to just give it flash. Like, dress down. Right, like, does that have to have flash? I mean, I guess it does. Dressdown. So with Dressdown, it's actually quite interesting because the plan with Dressdown was it's the only way to make a humility effect that counters like one F one trigger, right? Like, what they wanted to do is have humility for they couldn't make it a sorcery because then stuff that enters afterwards would not work. So it's really like they, they couldn't make it an instant because it wouldn't work as you think it should because it wouldn't be a static effect. You wouldn't stop. I don't quite follow that. I, I don't see why you couldn't make Dress Down a Sorcery. It would just be a different card. But. Yeah, it would be a completely different card. And what they were heading for is a way to top every, like, for example, stop a creature with Trample, all dead on its tracks. They wanted it to be a continuous for a turn, and Dress Down was, like, the only way to do so. Like, a flash I see. permanent. It's really weird. So that's more like a spell that just had to be a permanent, and therefore it has flash. And then we have stuff that are actually spells that they made permanents, like the Omens. Yeah... Because you literally have Omen of the Sea, the two mana instant that actually does the same, it preordains. I don't know the name of it because it's terrible. Deliberate? Is that the card? And Omen of the Seas, I, I know most people wouldn't play Omen of the Sea in the modern decks, but when you get casted Omen of the Sea, you say, oh, that's bad, but it isn't unplayable bad. 
Right. And the instant it is, like the difference in having material in it being a flash spell or an instant is remarkable. So how would you assess, if we're going back to our cunning Nightbonder task, right? We're going to build a Nightbonder deck. How would you assess the current state of you know, flash cards? Like, What are we working with if we're going to build a flash deck? Which cards matter? So I think you have it perfectly here. You have the important cards already selected in most scenarios. I think I agree with most of them, which are... On the one CMC spell, I think the only one that's even willing to actually at least consider is Omen of the Dead, but I think it's unplayable. On the two mana slot, Press Down, Snapcast Remage, Ice Fan Quaddle, Spell Starter Sprite is borderline. We know it's borderline. Omen of the Seas, Canine Wonder has to be there because, hey, we're building with Canine Wonder. We have one just hiding in there. And then I think one you haven't underlined, but I quite like. Beside the um, Omen of the Force, but that's because of enigmatic reasons, is Cathar Commando as a sideboard card. I think it's quite good. In any aggressive deck, Cathar Commando is pretty amazing. This is 3-1 for one and a white flash human, and you you can sacrifice it for one generic mana to disenchant or naturalize something. And then on the three mana slot, we have the usual subjects. Um, subjects. We have Slither Wisp, Spell Queller, Endurance, Brazen Borrower, which I think should be the best ones by a mile because you start getting into really bad cards after that. See, the Octopus is so much fun. Let's talk about Slither Wisp for a second here. This is the actual Flash Lord. Yeah. Came from the same set as Cutting Nightbonder and Sea Dasher Octopus, so they were playing with keyword counters, and they had like a mini Flash theme in Demir colors. Slither Wisp was the rare. It's black, black, blue... 3-2 Flash, and as long as you have a Slither Wisp, you get to draw a card and make your opponents lose a life whenever you cast another Flash spell. So it's actually super powerful. Right? I think a lot of us assume that you lost a life, just thinking of Dark Confidant, but it actually makes your opponents lose life. Slither Wisp has one issue and one issue only, which is the mana cost. The extremely prohibitive mana cost in Slither Wisp. Because when you think of Flash cards in modern... What like I say flash and you have to finish the colors, you are gonna say Asorius or Ban automatically. Right, I mean look at this list. You've named a bunch of cards. The only black card you named was Omen of the Dead. Yeah, barely. And everything else is in band, and once we go up the list, it gets even more banned because I stop naming decent cards and I name actually amazing cards. And it's not blue, blue, black. It's black, black, blue. It's super punishing. And black is the worst color for this effect. The worst color for this effect, and probably the biggest heartbreaker, is that it does not get any cost reduction from Cunning Nightbonder. Exactly. So if I thought I was going to make a black-based flash deck with Cunning Nightbonder, with Slither Wisp, maybe Omen of the Dead. Actually, I'm pretty sure that Damon put an Omen of the Dead in his Slither Wisp deck that he 5-0'd with like, many years ago, because I urged him to. But yeah, like you're just not getting anything out of these... Out of the Nightbonder specifically, at least, and your creatures are a 2-2 with no combat abilities and a 3-2 with no combat abilities. And that's, I think, the biggest issue with the card. Like, if Leader Wisp had been a colorless, a black and a blue, it would see play. And if it would have been, like, a colorless, even if your opponent didn't lose life, huh? colorless Anasaurus, I mm. think this card would have seen a lot of... I find it so shocking that I put it in this. I have never thought of Dimir as the land go sort of creature effect deck but i think you have fairies and that's how they probably defended it i just hate it yeah i think rogues was also around the same time period ikoria they were trying to make rogues happen 
Connie Nightbonder is a rogue, but again, it doesn't work with Soaring Thought Thief. Like, it doesn't reduce the cost on Soaring Thought Thief, which is... Or Thea's Guild Enforcer. It's just so tilting to me. Yeah, I think they failed with that design greatly because not on the card itself, but the cards that they thought would surround it. Because the only thing you get is uncontrollable, and that's not worth a two-mana choo-choo. But let's go up the, le- the deck list, and because that's going to link us to what I think is the best night um, leader with Nightwonder deck I have ever seen. In the 4-mana slot, we have Wandering Emperor, Subtlety, and I'm shockedly offended by the fact Restoration Angel is out, but I'm just going to leave it there in the out section. I put it as the 5th best 4-drop with Flash, <laughs> behind Nightback Ambusher and Notion Thief. I think, considering who the number 5 is, this is number 3. Oh, okay. Because the fact you're playing this, of course you're playing Solitude as your 5-mana spell. So you're playing this in a deck that more than likely has access to Solitude and Ice Funko Adel, and Spells to the Sprite, which are some of the only cards that can make Resto Angel even close to playable. At least more playable than Nightpack Ambusher. Benzer's Hyper Savant is fun, but not good. A 3-pana uncontrolled Benzer would be nice, though. And that leads us to... First Turn Negator's 5-color, 4-color, sorry, no red, Slitherwisp deck, which we're discussing on stream the other day, because... He was just watching, he was posting the list, and I was like, send me this on stream. I want to watch it, I want to stare at it, I want to love it. And it features most of the cards we just discussed, right? We just discussed. It definitely has the best cards, right? It has the best flash cards in modern here. And he's a responsible deck builder, he has 32 lands. Of course, I made him Catalan because 32? You madman. That's like five more than you need. So, Snapcaster Mage, Omen of the Sea, Ice Fan Quartles, Leader Wisp, Endurance, Praise and Borrower, Wandering Emperor, Solitude, and let is called to get them, and a one of Quanny Night Wonder. Well, the reason why you need 32 lands in your Yorian deck is because you have to get your Bant mana up for Counterspell, Wandering Emperor, and Endurance, and then when you're done doing that, you also need to find two black sources for Slither Wisp. Exactly. So after, so he's of course featuring the whole playset of Abundant Growth and also two Birds of Paradise, which I think shouldn't be in the deck because they don't quite help with what you're doing. That was the first thing we discussed. Better to try and find another fixing, but never Birds of Paradise. Because you're not going to get a Forest on turn one, you're going to cast Contraspell on turn two, Slither with on turn three, and you're never going to make a play co- hoping a Birds of Paradise survive in modern nowadays. Poor Birds. So what I'm seeing here in terms of like the synergies is that you have some cards, Omen of the Sea, Ice Fang Quaddle, and Solitude, I guess Endurance as well, that all have ETB triggers and have Flash. So they're, you're synergizing with both your Sky Nomad and your Slitherwiz. But beyond that, it's just a kind of a pile of control cards. Is that basically what's happening? Yeah, it's just a huge pile of reactive cards. Like, powerful, reactive. For example, I think like the best picture he has shown us is turn 2 Night Bonder on Instep into turn 3 Wandering Emperor. That's actually pretty powerful. And when I say generic control cards, as we discussed, that is the nature of Flash, right? Oh, yeah. If you're playing Flash cards, it's because you want to wait until the opponent's end step and just do nothing until the last possible moment, which is what all the designers hate, and yet they have to give us these cards. So I think the goal with Flash cards in the past was being proactive. Like, we see that in cards like Ice Van Coatl, which I think one of the greatest thing that one of the worst things that has happened. If you look at flashcards that were good two years ago, they were proactive spells that you were playing like, and we are gonna play this quattle or this counter spell. New flashcards are reactive, which are pretty threatening because they allow you to both respond to what your opponent is doing, and in the same way present an avenue to proactivity. How many games have been won 
against Murktide, for example, by going in step solitude or Darcy start attacking. Hmm. While on the past, you would have to choose between a proactive and a reactive spell. The new flash spells, Endurance, Wandering Emperor, and Solitude, which are the three newest ones, actually, and the, probably the ones that have seen the most play, is because of exactly that. They propose a proactive body staple to a reactive effect, which is solving every single problem you have at once. If I could play a deck with 40 Solitudes, I would. Like tiny Solitudes and big <laughs> Solitudes, that proposes a way of avenue that deals with Everything you need to deal with. You have the removal and the creature to make the beat down. And that's the scary part about the new flash spells. And I think that's the place they should keep away from. Because that's when it's too good. Yeah, you've solved the problem with flash and now afflicted the card pool with these cards. Exactly. The, like, look, what is what was likely the best flash creature 10 years ago? I think I just, like, I'm talking out of my, of my butt because I'm just noticing what I'm saying. But well, Snapcaster Mage and Vendillion Click. In standard. Oh, Spellsetter Sprite, I suppose. Was that before Snapcaster? I, I, Lorwyn, yeah. Lorwyn is far before Innistrad, right? Okay, all right. That checks out. So, and what, did, and what do they do that Quattle doesn't do, or Omen of the Seas doesn't? They actually respond to what your opponent is doing while presenting a clock, while being proactive. All right, so when you put all these together, does the deck actually work? First turn Gator, I believe... Got a 4-1 at some point with this list. There is one Cunning Nightbonder hanging out here. Because they have a Ladamris call, so we can get it when we need the uncontrollableness. And he did get that one screenshot of the turn two Cunning Nightbonder into Wandering Emperor. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of this. Like, I, I did say a couple weeks ago that Cunning Nightbonder is the first card you would cut, or the last card you would cut from any Flash deck, from any Nightbonder deck. I respect Soren for keeping one in here in his list. I think that's just respect to the card mostly. Like it, it's likely the first cut you make from this deck list. I'm really sad because there's this sorcery from one of the. This is a really old card. I don't think it's even modern legal. But there's a two mana sorcery that says you may cast this spell your, your opponent's turn if there is a creature spell on the stack and it's an essence scatter and it has been errata to be an, to be an instant. This is from what portal? I have no idea where it's from, but it was a sorcery that essence scatters. Val gains flash when your opponent casts any when there's a creature on the stack. But sadly, it has been a rattle into an instant. But I actually look at that card from like a competitive gameplay, like because it was a counter in Popper that dodged this spell. But it got a rattle, mm. so it's not a counter that dodges this spell. But it was a really fun idea I had to replace Essence card in the sideboard. That is, that is a deep cut right there. It, it was sad to see. But alas, it was a fun story of. Cards changing. What else did we get from Cunning Knight Ponder? Well, First Turn Gator is, to my knowledge, the only person who has won any matches in a recent modern league with Cunning Knight Ponder. But if I expanded my search to just Flash in general, or Slitherwisp perhaps, because that's maybe maybe the more flagship Flash Lord, you do find some things. Damon, obviously famous. <laughs> Famous here for the bizarre Slitherwisp 5-0 several years ago. But the dream of Slitherwisp is apparently still alive. I mean, Emmy, you you pointed out to me this list from the Magic Online player Palu 4-0 in a prelim on April 6th, 2022. Blue-black control. I, I don't know, is this a fairies deck? Is this a flash deck? It's got four Slitherwisp, four subtlety, four spell stutter sprite, four snapcaster mage, two brazen borrower. That's 18 creatures all with flash. Pair that with just generic instance, fatal push, drown in the lock, force of negation. No surprises there. There are three bitter blossoms. That's the only sorcery speed card. I do love an earth to get back Slitherwisp. Two unearths, yes. 
for thought scours. I don't understand the thought scours. Meeting leader is for your right That's what they're for. I'm gonna make a bold claim that yes. Almost like they were gonna put thought season and they just mistyped thought season and ended up with thought scour. <laughs> There's not a single discard discard spell here. You're right. I didn't notice that. But discards are sorcery speed. I mean, this this is an instant speed deck. The mostest instant speed. Even your creatures have an instance. No woman of the seas hurts me to my soul. That's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, so this is a 60-card version of a Slitherwisp deck. What do you think of Cunning Nightbonder? Like, does the Nightbonder contribute to this strategy? Could you envision such a deck? So for your Cunning Nightbonder to be good on turn 3, you need a combination of making a spell cost 1, so you can cast another 2-mana spell, or casting a 4-mana spell that costs 3, right? Mm. Like, that's what you that's what it has to do for it to be good. That's why I quite like Omen of the Seas, because you can go turn 2 Cunning Nightbonder to turn 3, Counterspell or something like that, plus Omen of the Seas, or similar. So here it has two cards that fit that mold, which is our Napcaster Mage. Napcaster Mage for one mana alongside Drowning the Lock is quite amazing. Sadly, you don't know how to play that on curve. But like that scenario is pretty good. Or spell starter sprite plus Drowning the Lock from hand. That's quite amazing, actually. If you have like a Cardinal Wonder on turn two, turn three, you go spell starter at Ragavan plus counter something. That's great. And then subtlety as a turn two Night Wonder to turn three subtlety. If subtlety was 3 mana, it would be solid use level of amazing. Even evoking the subtlety with the Slither Wisp gets you back the card you lost. I mean, that's very that's very nice, very cute. Uh, it's like a recent riff effect. I was thinking about that with solid as well. A what effect? Like a recent riff. Risen riff. Oh, risen riff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Do you remember the card Brineborn Cutthroat? I of course remember Brineborn Cutthroat. Who doesn't? So there was a time when people were trying that in like, is it, you know, Kiki, Blue Moon style decks? Just just for like your Flash Tarmogoyf. It doesn't really synergize, right? It's just a beater. Is this a deck that could take advantage of that? Or does it not have enough cantrip? I don't think this is a deck for that. But I think a Cutting Knight Bonder, Brightmore Cutthroat deck could be interesting. I just don't think you have enough. Like, Brightmore Cutthroat proposes the opposite dream that a card like Spellstatter Sprite represents, right? You want to cast cards on your opponent's story regardless of what they do. The best, th- the best friend of Primeborn Cutthroat is Lightning Bolt. Right. If you do nothing, Double Bolt you face, take you down, just take six damage, get a 4-3. That's the dream Primeborn Cutthroat represents. You pointed out to me before we started recording that Daniel Williams, our erstwhile great designer, had proposed a card almost identical to Primeborn Cutthroat, and that was the card that prompted this avalanche of hateful comments from the judges. Exactly. This is the worst idea. It would just propose a dream where people would just say Drogo every single step, every single moment. And imagine both players playing at Drogo. Imagine both. Imagine the Rainbow Cutthroat Mirror every single match in not modern, but in what was blocked at the moment. The worst idea in 2010. It's the reality we've been living in. I think cards like Solitude represent the major fear that these designers have. Or Endurance. I think Endurance is the pinnacle of a card that you can just go opponents in step already nothing he's a three four flash they were right i mean they were right i mean people hate that they were mean and they were right they were mean they could have been not mean but they were right a whole field with flash is really annoying because it really forces you to awkward position also fun fact the final event of the this is a really big tangent by me eh? the great designer search three had the final involving seance they did? So they had to make a card that would represent Sianse in Dark Ascension because they had to cut it. So they had to make a white card that would fit alphabetically between Sanctuary Cat and Silver Clock Griffin. No way. Oh my gosh. Those things were so fun. 
they were like a terrible use of resources, except that then they weren't because a lot of the people who came out of them have gone on to become the mainstays of the design team. The person they hired for this one left the company in September 2021. <laughs> so they went through a whole competition to fire a three-year employee. I love it. Wizards of the Coast, that's the most random stuff, and I'm just enamored by it. All right, so back to Cunning Nightbonder possible deck lists. We talked about the Demir Control Slither Wisp deck in Modern. Maybe part of the reason Nightbonder is not finding a slot in the deck is because Modern is like a little bit too powerful. What if we looked at a smaller format like Pioneer? Well, there are some recent results with Flash decks in Pioneer. Some, there's two. <laughs> there's two. The first one uh, comes from Devious Penguin 666. This is from February 21st of this year. Yeah, it's got, it's got Slitherwisp, four copies of Slitherwisp, but the cards we are pairing this with are, are cards that didn't even make Emmy's list of relevant Flash cards. What is Dragon Turtle? Okay, so there's four Spell Quellers, a card that used to be very powerful. This is so bad. Four Dragon Turtles, which is causing physical pain to Emmy right now as he's reading. You better read the card for us. Dragon Turtle. Creature, Dragon Turtle. One and double blue, so three mana for a 3-5 Flash. I wanna say that again. Dragon Turtle, creature types, Dragon Turtle. Drag below. When Dragon Turtle enters the battlefield, tap it and nap to one target creature opponent control. They don't untap during their controller's next untap steps. Why does this creature tap itself for two turns to make an effect that's worth one mana? I mean, it, it drags the other creature down into the deck. No, no, no. Let, uh, I, uh, there's, a, there's a big thing here. Tap it and up to one. Even if your opponent has no board, you cannot attack with the Dragon Turtle. Well, that's because a 3-5 flash for one blue-blue would actually be a problem. Just make it a 3-mana 2-4 and live with a playable spell in your mind. You did good. Mm. You don't need to fight it. This, ah, this hurts my soul. Alright, so 4 Slitherwisp, 4 Spell Queller, 4 Dragon Turtle. Dragon Turtle is both turtle and dragon. Hmm. Hmm. Well, there's four Silmagars scoring. Devious Penguin's thinking about this, right? Got a little mini dragon sub-theme. Is four dragon turtles enough? No, we need another flash dragon. So how about Kiyodai, Soul of Kamigawa? This is the fixed restoration angel. It's three and a white for... I believe it's a 3-3 flash flying dragon. And when it comes into play, you get to choose another creature and give that creature indestructible for as long as Kiyodai is in play. It's legendary, so that's not ideal. But between that, you have seven dragons in the deck. And you're missing the its activated ability. What is that? Wooberg to do something? Get bigger? Wooberg to get plus fly plus five. Yeah, for for all you five-color Kyodai commander decks out there. What, what better commander than a 3-3 three, three flash for four? Um, all right, so that, that's some of the cards. I haven't even gotten to the weirdest ones yet. Three Black Lance Paragon. One and a black for a 3-1 flash. What is this, a human knight? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna say that card from memory. Two mana, three one, flash, human knight from Throne of Eldraine, which is featuring a knight in black armor and a spear coming from behind. When it enters the battlefield, it gives target knight lifelink and death touch until the end of turn. Target knight can include itself. I'm 99% sure that's the card. You got it. This this card is beautiful. This artwork is awesome. I love that card. A, for the for how beautiful it is. B, because I drafted Eldraine so much and I always draft um, awesome knights. Okay, so as a defender, you can flash this in. You can block with it and gain three life. Or trade with something. It'll have death touch. You can give another knight death touch and lifelink. I don't think there are any other knights in this deck. No, but a 2 minus 3 one flash. It's actually a pretty... That's the thing. It's actually quite decent stat. 
I almost feel like because they were playing a, such a heavy black mana base for Slitherwisp, they just had to play some black cards. This is clearly worse than, well, not clearly worse. It, it feels worse than Cathar Commando. Maybe it's... Worse than what? Than Cathar Commando, the 3-1 disenchant. Yeah, Cathar Commando is almost always better. I mean, this is a better blocker and can gain you some life. Like against an aggro deck, this is an Iron Helix. That's true. Uh, all right, what else? Two Brazen Borrowers, two Notion Thief, little tech card here for all of the ops and considers running around. Two Etherites, <laughs> two Etherites. Oh my god. Okay, three and a blue instant. This returns all attacking creatures to their owner's hand. Is that what what it does? Yeah, you had to watch out for this in like gate crash draft. You're attacking with all your gruel stuff. You you might get wrecked by an Etherize. One settle the wreckage for when you know. When Aetherize isn't getting the job done, you might want to actually kill your opponent's creatures. I mean, what is, what is Devious Penguin up to here? Are, are they onto anything? This deck looks really wild. I think, like, a lot of the times you're just gonna line up, right? Like, this is, any sort of flash deck is controls Nightmare. Especially in Modern, where you have really punishing cards like Little Death, but also in Pioneer, when you can just keep the pressure going because it's a lot harder to refill your hand. Like, imagine you're playing Control, your opponent goes N-Step Paragon into N-Step Dragon Turtle into N-Step... Into, you play a spell Queller into Notion Thief into another Paragon, and they always play on your N-Step. This deck has zero creatures that they cannot play with Flash. Every single card in this deck can be played at instant speed. Literally. There are no blanks. This is the dystopian future the great designer judges feared. This is all the judges feared. Like, imagine the mirror of this deck. Are you ever tapping down knowing your opponent might spell color you? Slither was into spell coloring you. <laughs> That's th Those are the nightmares this sort of deck generates. The mirror. Well, the next deck has that same issue. This is from Ivan Drago, and this is pretty recent. This is April 18th, 2022. Oh, yeah. This deck, blue-white, flash, and it looks like a much higher card quality. No Slitherwisp, so maybe that's part of it. You're just in blue-white. You've got four Brazen Borrowers, four Spell Quellers, four Brineborn Cutthroat, a little flash Tarmogoyf action, two Archangel Avacyn, four Wandering Emperor, two Spectral Sailor. This deck is, this is Control as a Nightmare. If you're playing Control and you face this deck, you might as well cry. You're not winning this game. I don't think you can lose this matchup from the Asolius Flash deck M side. I don't think you can. I mean, you have to misplay your draw pretty poorly. You're not, I don't think you can ever beat Agro, but Control has to be close to a buy. Yeah, so I named 16 creatures and the Wandering Emperors. That leaves you with 16 spells, March of Otherworldly Light, Sensor, Dovin's Veto, Fateful Absence, Azorius Charm, Memory Deluge. Ah, yeah, they're kind of clunky. I mean, it's somewhere between a tempo deck and a control deck. I feel like you'd be on the back foot against anything that's just like a creature deck on the ground. Yeah, because your only efficient removal is March, and you're not. And Framework Cutthroat is not born to block, nor is Brazen Borrower. Or, I mean, your only defensive spell is Archangel Avacyn that's going to flip eventually. All right, so does this deck benefit from Cunning Nightbonder? I mean, it sort of does. The only thing I would love to see, if I was playing Nightbonder, I think you need additional spells like Cutthroat, such like Omen of the Seas or such. If only we had a permanent that were like a sensor, but with a permanent, like Flash. That would be sort of the dream. Wait, tell, tell me about this fictional permanent. No, no, it's just literally a creature, two mana O1 if you want, like a fairy that's literally, that has no attack, that sensors on ETV. Hmm. I'm selling you a terrible dream. Omen of the Sensor? Omen of the Sensor, exactly. Censoring Omen. Oh boy. <laughs> that's, that's the dream we're missing. I think 
like if you're playing these sort of decks, it's because you just want to beat anything that's controlling. Because when you're playing the control mirror, always the deck that draws more proactive flash spells tends to win. Yeah, it's interesting. Like this blue white from Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago. It looks worse to me. It, it looks worse to me than the the mono blue snow spirit deck, which does play a little bit at sorcery speed. Like some of the cards, when you don't have rattle chains, you have to cast on on your turn. Mausoleum Wanderer. Supreme Phantom, Ascendant Spirit. But beyond that, you know, you're playing a lot of instant speed. You're leaving your mana up. I think this actually has a chance against Tagro, while the other one doesn't. I think you're so, sort of giving away some of your temponess against the most low decks to actually have some interaction. The marches, the mem- the fateful absences, the Arcangelava scene. Don't underestimate that Mono Blue Snow deck. It won a challenge too. No, no, ago. I know, but you're not beating a deck that just goes backpedal against you. You're not faster than those decks. You're just more efficient at being disruptive. If they just go all in on the pedal, like, I don't know if how can you be that mono black aggro deck with that. Alright, well, I have some thoughts on this because I actually tested a Night Pack Ambusher deck, and we're going to talk about that in our Monday show, when we have our flashback segment. Wait, more Flash talking about some of the Bant decks that we were testing. This is Flash Week! Exactly. So... Before we put Cutting Nightbonder to rest, any any last words for it? I mean, did we find any plausible homes for Cutting Nightbonder? I think all you have to do is convince people to forget about Cutting Nightbonder and replace that image in their minds with Slither Wisp, and we have a lot of homes. Like, we only have to perform a tiny inception at one blue peep, and we're done. We're done. All we need is to rewire some stuff, and we're working with gas. All right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So we'll leave it there on Flash Week. So before we sign off, we do like to highlight some of the tech that is popping up from around the multiverse that is not related to Cutting Night Ponder. A little segment we call Picks of the Week, where we just like to highlight a little bit of interesting tech. I'll go first. Uh, my pick comes to us from Pioneer. It is a Song of Creation deck that 5 would from the pilot Be Anonymous. No, that's not it. Bananonymous? Bananonymous. Banana- Bananonymous. B-A-N-A-N-A-N-O-M-Y-M-U-O-U-S. Rejected Gwen Stefani lyric. So Song of Creation, you know, it's a tantalizing card. We we love it. We're always drawn to it. But it's interesting to see a slightly different configuration pop up here. So you got your four songs, two Thessa's Oracle. So you're, you're looking to play a bunch of zero mana spells, turn through your deck, win in one big turn with Thessa's Oracle. The zero mana spells are going to include Mox Amber. They're going to have, here we have two Tormod's Crypt, four Ornithopter, and three Astral Cornucopia. Hmm, that's an interesting one. So that actually synergizes quite nicely with the mana core of the deck. Kinnon Bonder Prodigy, a Jiggy Wiggy favorite, is here to power up your Mox Ambers, to power up four copies of Springleaf Drum. Also works with your Ornithopter. And the Astral Cornucopia, I mean, you can cast that either for zero or for three. When you cast it for three, it's like a decent mana rock. Um, so that that makes sense to me. But what's the new tech? Well, there's four Deadly Dispute. Splashing all the way into a fourth color just for Deadly Dispute. Deadly Dispute, we, we like this card a lot. It draws two cards. It turns your useless Tormod's Crypt into two fresh cards plus a treasure. The treasure benefits from Kinnon's ability if you have a Kinnon. Two copies of an offer you can't refuse. This is one of the cards that uh, I was a skeptic of, but I, I think you guys have been proven correct, especially you, Emmy, that you know this is a card that combo decks can actually use to really interesting effect. 
protecting their combo or getting a, a little ritual effect for themselves. I think that's why it's playing so mana zero mana spells like Astral Corn- like Cornucopia, right? Because it's both a zero to draw, it's both a zero or an offer you can't refuse, so you can see it as a mana ritual while you're going off. And it's also a mana rock for Kina, like it accomplishes so many small stuff together. Yeah. Rounding out the deck, one copy of Depart the Realm, a card that I had never seen in my life before. It's a two-mana bounce, but it has Foretell. That means you foretell it for two mana, you stash it in exile, and then later in the game you can pay one blue to bounce something. I don't know why that's there. It does get around the discard clause of Song of Creation. It's it's for exactly that. I was exactly going to say, when I was playing Song of Creation in Modern, like the five-color pile... Um, you play two bone crusher shine for exactly this reason. If you are going to fizzle off, it's getting you a four three that draws you two cards in the next turn, allowing you to go off again. Isn't adventure just a more powerful way to get that or escape? I mean, why foretell? I think they should be a racing borrower. Hmm. Like a hundred percent, they should be a racing borrower. But I understand why it's there because if you can also bounce your your summer and net two mana. Like you suspend this on turn three, and when you combo off, this is a one mana draw you. Get one extra mana with your Mox Summer, for example, which Racing Borrower doesn't bounce your own stuff. Last piece of the deck is we haven't really explained how you find Song of Creation. This deck is obviously designed to win once Song hits the battlefield, but it's not satisfied the rule of eight. So three Emery, Lurker of the Luck, with all these cheap artifacts. Among those artifacts are four Witching Wells to scry you towards your song, and a single Wishclaw Talisman. Since you're splashing into black, you know why not include this tutor? If you're going to win anyway. That's kind of interesting. So an interesting build there by B Anonymous, Bananonymous. I'm never going to You, are, that, you got it last time. You got it. Did I? Yeah. Okay. I also like the sideboard here. There's three Malevolent Hermit, a card that, you know, it has the right text on it. It seems like it should be good. Damon has liked it in Legacy a lot. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a threat that is also a mana leak that is also like a permanent your opponent can't counter your stuff, and two copies of Antiquity's War for a little juke plan. I like this deck. My only fear with it is the same fear I always have with Song of Creation Thassa Oracle deck, which is, if the Thassa Oracles are the last cards in your deck, you lose. Uh, that always scares me to my soul, and I had never had that happen until I played the pre-list the other day and lost because the last card in my deck was my only out. Like, literally card number 40. And once I had that happen a few weeks ago, I'm never playing this something like this again. But there's two Thassa Oracles. They can be both be the last cards. You just gotta be unlucky enough once to grab your monitor and throw it against the window. Trying to think of like how how often this would actually happen. You do have Depart the Realm to bounce your own song if it comes to that. The odds are so outstandingly low. Like they have to be. Like the odds of both cards being the last two cards, I'm gonna tell you right now, it has to be approx. Yeah, if you played a second Song of Creation, which you might very well do, then you're in a little more danger. But even here, you have Otawara to bounce things. You have... Two in (laughs) 10,000. See? You're going to lose one in every 5,000 games. All right, so kudos to Bananonymous on Song of Creation. Emmy, what is your pick of the week? So I went with a pick that I was playing a few days ago, and ironically, it's reminiscent of the first ever Faithless Brewing episode, which I listened a few days ago just to annoy that because he didn't want me to hear it. And Why? Why? He's just in suffering. I'm going to start saying quotes from it randomly after today. I'm going to remaster that episode. I'm going to delete it. I'm going to just do all the voices myself and pretend that that was the first episode. I have it uploaded. I have it ready. The moment you erase it, I upload it in Faithless Brewing as a new episode. <laughs> I'm trying to play Neoform in a fairish way, fair, between many quotes. 
Panic on the Deck Fair Neoform. Because this is not the traditional Crystal Band Neoform. This is Seagate Storm Color Neoform. This is four mana get a collect a perfect collected company to play. Alright, explain this interaction to me. That, that's what I'm gonna name the deck. The perfect Coco. So for four mana, you need two blue, one green, and one colorless. You play Seagate Storm Color, it triggers, it resolves. And it says the next spell you cast that costs two or less gets copied. You go ahead, you have an empty board, you open and tap down, and you just go Seagate Storm Color, trigger resolves, Neoform. And now, two Neoforms enter the stack that look for a 3CMC creature or a creature that has one cost higher than the creature you sacrificed. And your deck has, I think, 11 one-offs of three drops. The most important of them being Glasspool Mimic. How was that the most important? The most important of them, Glasspool Mimic. Because it allows you to get a second copy of any three drop. So 60% of the time, you're going to get Spike Feeder and Helior. Okay, so you got a little combo action there. That's why it's fair between a lot of quotes. So Spike Feeder plus Helior allows you to gain through a removal spell because Neoform gets creatures into play with an extra plus one plus one counter. And why does that matter with Spike Feeder? You gain two life, they bolt it, you gain two life and it's still alive. And you still go infinite. That's dirty. <laughs> that's, I literally have that so creature dirty. in the Discord where my opponent lets the combo resolves, I get Helio, I get Spike Feeder, remove a counter, they bolt, and I'm like, remove another counter? That's an amazing interaction. Almost as if it was planned. That interaction is golden. That interaction wins you so many games because no one kills your near form, your Seagate Storm color. Yeah. I mean, remember when there was briefly a... What format was that? Historic. You, you could you could Neoform a Seagate Storm color into a dual caster mage. And, and you win. With dual caster mage, you get, you get four dual caster mages and then you start getting um, another clones and then you get Tuk Tuk's Ravel Fort that gives everything haste exactly. and win. And the only way to stop it was to actually respond to the Stormcaller trigger by killing the Stormcaller. And that's why you play a lot of Wall of Omens here. Because if you have any children in play, they can just kill whatever they want. You just get to sacrifice some. And then, but sometimes you're like against Tron and you're like, okay, what am I getting? You go Tron 1 Utopia Sprawl, turn 2, whatever. Turn 3, you go City Stormcaller, sacrifice, double Fulminator Mage, blow up your lands. You get double Magus of the Moon, and that's why it's so important to have less full Mimic in your deck. Sometimes you just go. You're playing against Shan, and you go, okay, Soul Herder, Eternal Witness, get back Neoform and Seagate Stormcaller. I'm at my exact position with a 3-3 and a 3-2. This is, this is fascinating. So you have some elements of like the traditional creature toolbox in the form of two Imperial Recruiters and two Eladomri's Call, but then you, you're given eight slots to this Stormcaller Neoform package, which is just much more explosive, I imagine. It allows you to just win all of a sudden. Like, I lost the 5-0 yesterday with this deck, lost to... to um, it was Isaac Prowess. I mulligan down to 5, go turn 1 land. They go turn 1 Swiss Spear. I go turn 2 Topia Sprawl. They go Swiss Spear, Ragavan, Creature, Lava Dart, send me down to 10. I go third land drop, Sigue Stormcaller, Neoform. Helios Spike Feeder again, Infinite Life. From an empty board, I just tap for mana and win. And then, the cards that I just got in my last version are the Brennan Sixes, because I just wanted more Wall of Omens, actually, because they work so well with literally everything. You have no idea how many games you just go by going turn 2, Wall of Omens, turn 3, Neoform Wall of Omens into any 3-drop in the game. Or just Renegade Rally as a 4-3, get back Wall of Omens. Or just Season Pyromancer. A 3-3-2-1-1 is a huge board. So Neoform, in a fair way, when you're actually toolboxing with it, becomes quite relevant. 
because of its effects. And then you just have the insane turns where you go, you have like six man in play and you just go Seagate Stormcaller, Neoform, get witness, copy witness, get both bugs, Neoform again, transform your witness into an Omnath, fetch, and just keep playing. Three years ago, we were Neoforming a two drop into a Renegade Railure. Fair Neoform. <laughs> there was no combo in that deck either. The thing is, Seagate Stormcaller allows you to play the Heliod Spike Feeder combo so freely. Yeah, I think that's super clever. I, I love what you've done here. Um, the combo chain, right? You have all the pieces of the Felidar Guardian, Karmic Guide, Kiki chain, but so there's a, you're not playing like Vivian. No, right? because this was a really old pre-Vivian project. This was like one of my first projects that I just went on my own, right? Like, this is, I think, the first deck list that I have actually brewed on my own. But I actually claim this is my idea. This might be the only deck that this is actually my idea. And because of that, this is like an old project that I always just stumble back into and try to 5-0, and I always get really close. So this is the only deck I have ever played that actually wants a copy of a card you haven't seen, because you would have loved that. You, you want to try and get it? It's a 4-drop. Mm, timeless Witness? Timeless Witness? <laughs> when Eternal Witness simply won't do. You go Neo for m um, sacrifice a 2-drop, Get witness, sacrifice witness, get witness, sacrifice witness, get karmic guide, sacrifice witness, get kiki. I didn't quite follow all that, but you're you're saying you do actually go up the chain. Sometimes you have so much mana out of Omnath or such that you can just play three or four neoforms in a turn. I see. Okay, so you just have to keep paying for it, but you'll never run out of material. But you never lose material and you end up with a karmic guide getting back and you just try to win the game that turn. And that will happen. Because Omnath enables the generous stuff. That's pretty awesome. Also, Soul Herder is the unsung hero of this deck. So many times you just get like Soul Herder plus a proactive 3-drop. Like, I was against Garden Skills the other day, and Infinite Life doesn't matter against them, so I just go Seagate Oracles, Neoform, get a Skyclave Apparition plus Soul Herder. <laughs> this is your problem now. And the fact Soul Herder enters as a choo-choo, when so much stuff pings, it's really big. So yeah, this is a deck I can I can't get away from. I'm gonna keep trying to 5-0 because it's this has to be one of the decks I enjoy the most playing because of the insane lines he proposes. You were so close too. You you were 4-0 last night. You were pinging me like, it's gonna happen. And I won game one and lost game two and three to really unlucky games. I mean, Lavadar is sort of this deck's nightmare. And just facing the 4 Lavadar deck was devastating. But yeah, also you have a lot of the time you just pour into Solitudes and Furies because you are playing three Ephemerates because they really work well with the rest of the plan. The other day I won on turn three with the really weird plan of turn two. I just turned two hardcasted my Oracle. My, my opponent didn't kill it. I went turn three Ephemerate Neoform because I was facing Tron and I didn't have acceleration. Wait, so then what happened? I just, they, they went turn two, turn two Tron land. I went turn two Seagate Oracle. And on my turn three, I Ephemerated to get a trigger again. And then I Neoform. Okay, so you, you got like three creatures. <laughs> And then with that, and then I think I got like double Fulminator Mage to blow them back into the Age of Extinction. Oh, that's your Fulminator and your Glass Beam. Yeah, or just, I don't know if it was double Fulminator, it was like Magus plus Season Pyder to close the game in that specific game. This deck looks like so much fun. It's insanely fun. All right, I want you to get that 5 I'm going to get that 5-0, it's just a matter of time. All right, this is your task. That's the task. Get the Neo, get the 5 Neoform with the original with the original Faithless Brewing card. And if you can't do that, then you have to play Cunning Knight Bonder until you <laughs> figure it out. More, your task is 5-0 with Cunning Knight Bonder or Neoform. The choice is yours. All right, I think that's a perfect place to leave it here for today. We will be back after the weekend for our Monday show, where we will talk about uh, maybe a slightly better card. We're going to be taking a, a closer look at 
Ledger Shredder, the Blue Bird. And we'll also tell you a little bit there about some of our testing this week with some Bant decks. Exactly. So hope to see everybody again on Monday and have a nice day. Bye bye. -bye. No, you say your goodbyes and I say bye bye. Come on, Dan. We have a plan. We work for it. We start. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm getting now. Bye. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for future updates on Cunning Night Wonder as we attempt to finally crack the Uncrackable. We will also be taking a look at the second runner up from the competition, Shoran of the Skulls, trying to find new builds for Modern and Pioneer. Finally, on Monday we'll go deep into one of the most loved cards from Twitch of New Capena, not only by Cape Dan, but also by most of the community, Legend Shredder. Will the Faceless Gang be able to crack the bird? Tune in on Monday's episode to find out. Have a nice night and hope to see you soon.